everybody. It's Movie Geeks United. All the movie geeks are here. How are you guys doing? Very fine. Very fine. How about you, Jerry? I'm doing fine. I, I've really decided that I want to spend the rest of my, my life studying the cinema of Matt Damon. Um, that's really where we're at right now. I, I just I, I've decided that Matt Damon really deserves like the his cinema of Matt Damon. <laughs> you like that? You like that? I mean, it sounds like a a questionable book on on the shelf of. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just that one oh, line man. though. That one line on the leap on a zoo thing when he said he absolutely makes no effort whatsoever to act. <laughs> no, he said he was he, his performance was very effortful. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Effortful. <laughs> Dude, that just that whole segment though when he did that, I was just like, "You've got to be kidding me!" And it just <laughs> did. You guys ever see We Bought a Zoo? Oh yeah, no, it's it's a oh, yeah. it's a fine movie. It's missing something though, um, and that's you know it has one big problem. They you you have Scarlett Johansson in the movie, but you decide not to make her a love interest. Um, it does hurt the movie. I think at the end of the day. Um, hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a questionable decision, and I understand why they did it. But you, you, it's not a bad movie, by the way. I mean, if compared to Aloha, it's goddamn Citizen Kane. Um, so <laughs> I mean, we, you know, you, that's what we're, that's where we're at with Cameron Crowe. Um, in that regard, it's, easy, it's an easy movie to make fun of because yeah. uh, I mean, it's it's very uh, endearing and uh, wide-eyed and that kind of thing. I really, really like the ending of it, the last, oh, yeah. last scene of it. But but I, I really, really like the last scene of Aloha, too. I think the last shot of Aloha is the only thing that works in it. <laughs> I like it because I had to go to the bathroom really badly. That's rare. And, and, and I had to go, go really badly, so I was glad the movie was over. Um, so I'll just say that. Um, but, yeah, you know, there's Rosie's this performance moment from the, from the teenage girl that plays his daughter in Aloha. I yeah, think I'm no, no. Remembering it correctly, where she's in dance class and then she comes out and she has this big emotional moment that closes the movie, and it's like, where did that come from? That was like an amazing. Yeah. Uh, and then the movie ends, so it ends on a high yeah. note. <laughs> yeah. No, no, <laughs> I remember. I remember us talking about that, and you had, you were really, you thought that was probably the. It was. It's such a good moment. It's so out of place in the movie. Um, Absolutely. But I, yeah, I'm, I will say this about Cameron Crowe. I think he has found his footing again on TV with Rhodey. Um, to give, I mean, that I thought was a, a fine show um, for him um, and for everyone involved, actually. So, you know, to be yeah. to be fair to Mr. Crow, Jerry, I assume you've seen Logan. I I I would just like to give a list of what I've seen to get it out there because I noticed like sometimes I don't say everything I've seen. We've actually been, I think, seen one movie at least on Netflix that we can talk about. Um, because I watched that last night, the movie that you were watching, and I'd yeah, like, I would really like to talk about that too. Okay. I think that's worthy of talking about. But I would just like to say I, I've seen Get Out, I've seen The Girl with All the Gifts. Um, I watched Chung King Express last week for the first time in God knows how long, and then this week, you know, Logan, Table Nineteen, Land of Mine, and the Mel- Melanie Linsky Elijah Wood movie. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. So that's well, what we I've can. Seen. St- Let's start off with I don't feel at home in this world anymore. 
Uh, Let's do it, man. Let's go. Which, it. Uh, uh, you know, I. Uh, I was happy to see that it's the it's the writing and directing debut of or at least feature debut of uh, Morgan Blair. Uh, is that his name? Uh, Macon Blair. Macon oh, Blair. Macon Blair. Sorry. Uh, Macon Blair is the was the star of Blue Ruin and the and the co-star, I guess, of of Green Room. Right. And, right. Uh, Two of uh, Jer- the two Jeremy Saulnier movies that uh, have uh, have uh, come out, and uh, right. this is uh, I don't feel at home in, in this world anymore. Stars uh, Melanie Linsky as a um, as a nurse's assistant uh, who's heavily depressed at the beginning of the film, uh, and. Uh, and the beginning, the film kind of starts off almost like a comedy. Like a, it kind of feels like a, uh, like like Ghost World or something to me. Yes. in some ways. It's an analogy. It's an analogy. Uh, yeah, it's it's got that sort of arch kind of feeling to it, and 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 she's kind of sick of the world and sick of the assholes in the world, and um, and so it, the first part of the movie has her. Uh, uh, trying to cope, and uh, then she discovers that her house has been broken into, and some some things have been stolen. Uh, not very important things, but they still it still pisses her off enough to uh, oh, want well, to wait investigate. A wait a second, that her laptop and her mother's silver or stuff that her mother gave her, they are. Actually, yeah, I mean, they're, rather... but they're not. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, it's not like a million dollars or something, you know. Oh no, of course, no, 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 of course, no. I understand it's, that completely. It's, no, it's I, I guess stuff that she wants back, but it's not like you know, it's not the heist of the century. But oh, uh, at, it, <laughs> at any rate, she wants to, she wants to get to the bottom of the of the crime, considering that the uh, police aren't really doing anything for her, and she enlists the help of a of a. Um, a neighbor that she's uh, run into, who's you know uh, played by uh, Elijah Wood, uh, and uh, it, it's a very very good movie. I th- I thought that you know it, it takes a turn in the middle of it, particularly when the villains are introduced uh, into more violent territory than mm-hmm. comedic, uh, but. Um, I thought it it maintained uh, a a fairly good level of quality until the very very end. I I, I thought the, I thought the ending was like a little bit of a what was that? I, don't get, <laughs> I I just thought the ending was kind of out of another movie in some ways. You know the it, thing with the snake and everything yeah, like that. Yeah, I, I, I mean I'm not giving anything the away there. By the, the way, <laughs> the movie has tonal shifts. Abound, um, which I I don't mind, um, but there is a tonal shift at times in this movie where you are curious, um, you know, uh, what, and that's what I like about it because you, you really can't. I mean, I guess you could say this is standard American independent fare that they still make these kind of movies that were very prevalent, I guess, in the like the mid to late nineties. That kind of tone. I don't mean that in a bad way. I know a lot of people think of that, and I don't mean I mean that in the highest actually regard. Um, but that that tonal shift, especially at the end, though, where we really do veer off, you do wonder um, what was going through um, the director's mind. Um, 
because it's so out of uh, left field, I feel, for the, the movie. Um, it's got a real B-movie ending to it, I think. Yeah. And then and then the the very final moments have a kind of like a questionable sort of, uh, I guess there's a sort of a reach out to spirituality in some ways uh, in well, the story. Well, and he's trying to, you know, that's a very interesting thing. That whole thing with the church scene is a very interesting, and you're really kind of wondering what is he trying to get across there? Um, yeah. That also, I felt, at first, felt um, just totally out of place. But then you're watching it, and you realize, you're absolutely right. This woman is so despondent, and so her, her faith in humanity is really just, I mean, just little moments, like the people cutting in front of her line in the grocery store, or what have you, before the break-in even. I mean, her her faith in humanity is just, like, totally down the toilet, really. Yeah. Um, I love the shot of, like, her sitting in the uh, in the, in the the traffic and, like, looking at this big monster truck, spewing out, yeah. out smoke, and she's yeah. like, oh. <laughs> like, just little things like that, like people also, dropping stuff at the at the grocery store and not picking it up and bar. putting it back the on the, the shelf. Bar who yeah. the book for her. And you're right. just like, what a dickhead. I mean, which is played like, by oh uh, Morgan. Uh, it's, it's played by uh, Macon Blair, that, that character. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, he's, yeah. And you're just like, what a dick. <laughs> yeah, total dick move. But uh, it's, a, it's a very, very good movie. It's, it's definitely entertaining. It's, uh, it's short. It's 90 minutes. And uh, it's, it's good, you know. I mean, I don't know about these, these Netflix movies. Do they get released in theaters at all? I mean, Well, here's the thing. This was, a, this was this year's Sundance. Two big winners at this year's Sundance mm-hmm. were Sundance. I mean, were Netflix and Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, this was actually, I think you could call this the first Sunday. So the streaming services were the dominant players. Mm-hmm. Um, so but, you know, we have to, we are witnessing in the last couple of weeks, all these major announcements of Netflix releasing movies at another time that would have been released in theaters. Um, I don't know if this is going to get a theatrical release. I don't know if the Will Smith movie bright is going to get one. I don't know if the Brad Pitt, movie is going to get a theatrical release. But I am very curious what the metric of success is going to be for these movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. this is a, we're in a new era. We are in a new era um, the last year. So I'm very curious. Yeah, I mean, we're not in well, the era it'll, it'll of... I mean, the subscribers. Yeah. Um, but but uh, the big question mark is, and this got a lot of uh, ire from people, the announcement that they're they're going to release Scorsese's movie with De Niro and Pacino. Um, I mean, they're financing it. Uh, and so, you know, they say if somebody like Scorsese chooses a streaming service, then cinema really is dead. And uh, Well, that movie I, is still would, going to get a theatrical release. I mean, I would it, think so. It is, yeah, it, it's still going to get a theatrical release, The Irishman. So it demands it. I mean, it's a Scorsese yeah. movie. It demands to be seen in the theater. I don't know how you. But it might be a release that's more in line with indie movies, where it's only in like 500 theaters across the nation, or something like that. I, I think, and I think, I think it'll be a release like Manchester by the Sea, which was Amazon. Yeah. Yes. That's what I was thinking, um, because Amazon was behind that. So. Um, 
Yeah. You know, yeah. they're giving I, Scorsese the there's $125 million so Scorsese could make this movie. Tell me how many like 70 something true auteurs uh are given a budget of 100 million dollars to make a movie. There's probably what like two? <laughs> yeah, Eastwood, Eastwood would be the other one I would think. Um <laughs> that's I, I, true. I don't You're know right. East Eastwood would not spend a hundred million dollars on a movie. First of all, no, but, no, he, uh, would, he would he would make two or three movies with that at least, uh, maybe yeah. four. But, but um, Scorsese, Scorsese is at this weird place in his career where the latter part of his career is when he's given the most ambitious. He's been afforded the opportunity to to grasp his most ambitious projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's it's pretty unheard of, man. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, well, I like that um, because I I think that plot, as we said repeatedly on the show, I mean, you have, you know, this whole myth, the thing that Tarantino started that no one makes a good movie after the, in, once they reach sixty is BS. I mean, he's been proven. Yeah, I love it too. Long. But but I mean, my my point of saying that is, why don't you freaking thank Netflix? They're they're, they're making this Dream Scorsese project possible. Yeah, no, I'm I'm all for. Them. I love what Netflix has done. I mean, I'm not against it. Um, I guess I guess everybody's just reacting to the fact that they just don't they don't want to be in a world where Scorsese can't get a theatrical release. So it's, that that's just all there is to it. Yeah, I mean, but can I can I add some you know fuel to the fire here? These are probably the same people. Not all of them, but some of these people are saying this probably watch movies pirated on at home online. They don't even pay to go to the movies. Can I be very honest with you and yeah. say that? I see You're that right. a lot a lot with people. Well, you know, I mean, come the, on. I, I, I don't want to live in a world where North Korea can fire a nuclear uh, <laughs> missile into our country. But, you know, Scorsese not getting theatrical, which he is going to get theatrical, like you just said. It's yeah. pretty much definite. Uh, I mean, that's like small potatoes. I mean, what a thing to get enraged about. There's, there's things happen all the time that make me question just the, the people actually think before they talk, before they communicate something. Like on our YouTube channel a couple of days ago, somebody commented on a show we did on De Palma, and they said, uh, you really think people are interested in who your top five favorite directors are? Man, what egos you guys have. And yet, oh, I saw the fucker, that. He's the one that clicked the link and listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, it's essentially, he's essentially saying, "My God, I am such a dumbass <laughs> because I don't care about this." Yeah, we see that a lot though on our YouTube channel. <laughs> well, you know, uh, the uh, the internet has, of course, you know, erased any kind of thought that people actually put into. Uh, any kind of comment. I mean, it used to be, you know, where you would uh, you would have some kind of nasty comment, and then you would sit and think about it for a while before you wrote it out in a letter or something to somebody. But mm-hmm. uh, now it's so instantaneous, you know. Anger anger gets transmitted, you know, around the world, you know, in a snap. So yeah. Uh, so a bad, uh, you know, thought comes in your head or whatever, a negative thought, and it just goes right down there. So, but uh, people find it entertaining. Some do, at least. So. I, why? Why the hell would anyone have a podcast unless they're going to share their opinion on something? Yeah, like, of course. What, what kind of what? What other kind of podcast do you listen to? 
there isn't a single podcast that exists where people don't talk. I mean, that's the whole point of a podcast. That's right. Uh, can I talk about a movie that I saw this uh, no. this week? That uh... <laughs> the cat movie. What kind of ego do you have, Dean? Where you think we want to hear you talk about movies? <laughs> Yeah, really. Are you going to talk about the cat movie? Yeah, Kitty uh, okay. is uh, is a movie from uh, from Turkey. Takes place in Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, it's directed by Seda Turan. It's her debut film. Uh, it's a documentary, uh, and uh, it follows the lives of a number of cats. Uh, you know, seven to ten cats. Uh, that are living on the streets along with millions of other cats in that city, and uh, it is uh, beautifully shot. I mean, just just absolutely gorgeous uh, to look at and to listen to. It's got a really nice underscore that's not too insistent, and also uh, some some really interesting uh, Turkish pop songs, you know, from the sixties. And uh, the '80s, it sounded like, but um, uh, it's a it's a really really excellent movie, especially if you're a cat lover, obviously. But uh, but also in terms of just uh, it kind of like keys into the uh, spiritual aspect of of uh, showing animals affection, and um, particularly in this town, you know, where we have. People building, you know, special huts for cats and and having little feeding areas for them and and uh, just being very attentive to them, even uh, even though <laughs> they're all over the place. So uh, it just, you know, for a cat lover, it looks like paradise. And just in ter- also in terms of just like almost like a travelogue in some ways, uh, it really makes that city look look fantastic and. Uh, it was just a really good, you know, you don't get to see very many documentaries that, <clears throat> you know, it's, I guess it's, this is an entry in what I like to call the fun documentary, which is, you know, something that's not uh, that's not politically charged or depressing. And uh, it really uh, it really just makes you feel good. It's uh, it's playing right now at, uh, at Landmark Theaters around the nation. Uh, I don't know how long it'll be out there. Uh, this is the kind of movie that only plays for a week or two weeks, but uh, uh, even if you don't get to see it in the theater, which it would be a wonderful movie to see on the big screen. I saw a screener copy of it online, uh, but uh, uh, I, I highly urge you, if you're a cat lover <clears throat> and you're and if you're just a, a lover of really good movies, uh, then uh, then Kitty is an excellent choice. So, and it's short. It's it's eighty minutes long, and uh, it, it's it's extremely well done. So check it out. It does. It sounds wonderful though, just from your description. So it, it's it's very good. It's it's really really good. Very very unusual movie. Uh, but the, how is Logan? Uh, okay. Because I know that Logan is is supposed to be a cut above the, uh, the average. Yeah. It is, and I would also, before we get into, it, I would um, urge people to read the interview at Rolling Stone that um, is online right now by James Mangold because I think he really gets to the heart of what the problem is with most comic book adaptations. Um, 
having said that, Logan really is a a, a cut, no pun intended, but a cut, a cut above most of the films out there. Um, first and foremost, because you have Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart, um, really giving their their like really the performances of these the best performances I think of these characters because I think they've had a director who's really allowed them to dig deep. Um, I think we have to emphasize behind the camera you have James Mangold, who's just a superb director, um, Walk the Line, Heavy, Copland, Pretend to Yuma. Um, I, I do think that needs to be emphasized. That's why I think The Wolverine was such a good movie. You also have a writer, Scott Frank, um, a, a fantastic mm-hmm. screenwriter and, um, and director in his own right. So you have is he the guy that wrote? Uh, he wrote uh, Out of Sight, right? Yes, yes, he adapted. He was, he is probably the best. Um, he gets like a lot of modern crime fiction, um, very well. Helmore Leonard, um, Charles Wilford, that sort of thing, and he's directed two very good movies, um, The Lookout, and to a lesser extent, The Walk Among the Tombstones. Um, but he is a really, really um, good good writer. I actually, just ordered his his first. He, he wrote a novel last year, a crime novel. And I got that, but I've always been a big fan of his. So you have those two things. But I think I figured out what the problem is with most comic book movies and most print, like most pop culture in general based on a comic book or a booker. I think people just want to go see the character, go through a grocery list of things that they're expected to do from a comic or from the book or whatever. And I think we seem to forget in a movie, um, you have to have some economy there. They have to have motivation, first and foremost. Um, I don't care, you know, what they did in the page. That's not really important for a movie. You need something a little bit more there. You need character development. You need just something really – you need some urgency there. And I I think that's missing from a lot of these movies, especially Mm -hmm. the ones that have come out from D.C. lately, which I just feel are a disaster um, for for those reasons. But – I think here you got, even though I think the, the it's emphasized, this is kind of shame. It has a lot of shame in it, even though that's in that movie shown in the background. Um, it's got shame. It's got Mad Max galore. The Road Warrior and, and Thunderdome are, are definitely referenced here. Um, but it's just a really good character study, first and foremost. I really do think this is like something like The Wrestler, or Grand Torino in that regard. It's just a great character study, watching uh, this mythic figure in decline. And I, I just thought it was just a, a, a marvel to behold. I heard really. the girl was good in it. She's superb. She's superb. She adds a whole other dimension to this movie that does give it its urgency. Um, it, it's a very... It, I can't emphasize, you know, I, you know, I like the Wolverine. I thought that was a really step above those movies, movies too. But this one really just goes for broke. I mean, it's just a really well-told story. I think you would like it, Dean. I really do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I know that it gets pretty violent. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and uh, that's the thing that kind of, I'm not against violence, but I'm against uh, a sort of a pummeling kind of quality, and uh, and that's the thing that I think you know kind of brings down right. kind of book movies. Can I to me. say something about that though? About the violence in this movie, um, it is an R-rated movie, which is something I guess because of the success of Deadpool. Um, 
the violence is not exactly one-sided. He is, he takes a beating in this movie, um, mm. throughout the whole movie. Because, you know, we're always taught, I guess, in the, 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 the ill-fated uh, Wolverine Origins, that he's indestructible. Well, he ain't indestructible. The guy takes a beating in this. So you see they, something something that's happened to him, and also, I have to say, Patrick Stewart deserves some kudos here because he's finally, I think, allowed to really play the part with some real urgency and gravitas that he's not been afforded um, before because you have so many characters in these movies, even the Brian Singer one, there's really not enough how do I say it? There's not enough time for anyone to really get anything done. Um, mm. you're cram- these things are so crammed. Like, I was watching a little bit of Apocalypse late last night, and that, that I do think may be one of the low points um, in this franchise. And that's just last year. And I think, but he wants to cram so many characters into these things. You're just like, well, how can anyone get anything done? I mean, how can anyone you know, rise above anything. If you just got all these characters running around, it's like high school. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's just ridiculous. Um, and but Patrick Stewart's arc, I mean, there's some really nice moments in this movie. I mean, it's, it is a Western. I mean, it has like shades of 310 and Yuma in it um, that he and his remake. Um, there are definitely some shades to that. There's a great little performance by Eric LaSalle. Um, in this, um, he, he's got a small part, and, it's, and where his they have a dinner, dinner sequence that's that's very telling. Um, imagine if the dinner sequence in the uh, Phantom Menace was done correctly. Mm. <laughs> you know, you know that scene, which is probably one of the worst scenes in in in, in the franchise. I mean, imagine if that was done correctly, and you you you, you got a good dinner idea. Dinner sequence. The dinner you know, sequence you know one of the, is the Phantom Menace. Yeah, you remember I, I frankly don't was? remember that scene. No, but it's the scene where it's the scene where Lucas's writing yeah. or lack of comes into sharp focus early on. You're just like, oh my god! Yeah, I know, I know what you're talking to, about. I know what you're talking about. You know, like, you know, but you're like, just, did you just uh, try to explain the movie in this scene? <laughs> I mean, well, no, I see that uh, Stephen Merchant is in it, and uh, who I like a lot. Uh, the, yeah kind of unusual to see him in a movie of this type. And my old friend Boyd Holbrook, my upstairs neighbor in uh, my apartment building in Brooklyn <laughs> a few years wow. ago. Oh, wow. Uh, he's, he's in it, so that's neat. No, it, it, it's actually, it's it's a really well-made yeah. movie. I think he, um, I think really. he plays the, uh, he plays the upstairs neighbor in, in uh, Yes, he movie. does play the upstairs neighbor, yes. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, I have to admit that I'm kind of interested in seeing it. So, uh, and Get Out is is I guess the the big hit uh, uh, these days. Oh yeah, how was that? Get out? Out. That's just um, I I would say just go out and see it just as soon as you can. Just before I mean, I've already seen some really funny memes online about it, but just. Get out and see. I mean, it's worth it's worthwhile checking out. I mean, it's really well done. Um, I mean, a really a nice a nice entry into the horror genre. Um, a really good one. A really strong movie. Yeah, it's it's. I don't want to talk about it too much just because you can't really talk. I mean, you really need to go see it. Just um, because there's a lot of surprises in it, and just the less you know, the better going into it. I guess. 
Yeah. Yeah, I'm avoiding reading anything about it. So uh, I've been watching a lot of old stuff lately. I watched, you know, uh, Shadow of a Doubt uh, yesterday and uh, Day of the Jackal, which I had thought, boy, Day of the Jackal was really great. It's it's a movie that I thought that I'd seen when I was a kid, Uh, you know, like – I think I saw it and uh, and I was bored by it, you know, which you can imagine any kid would be bored by it. But right, um, right. but uh, seeing it as an adult, I was I was I was quite taken with it. It was uh, it was a really exciting, well edited, well written uh, piece about the search for a for an assassin that's that's out mm-hmm. to kill Charles de Gaulle. And they don't. Uh, he's very clever assassin played by James Fox, and uh, uh, and uh, it, it was. It's one of those movies that uh, uh, you know I I really didn't know where it was going to go. Uh, so that's kind of what you're looking for in a in a film of that type. It's just like wow, we're you know how are they going to catch this guy? Uh, right, right. But uh, it it was a uh, very good. It's directed by Fred Zinnemann. Uh, very different movie for him. I mean, miles away from things like you know High Noon or uh, The Nun Story or uh, you know things of that nature or uh, you know Man for All Seasons. Uh, so it, it's it, it's tremendous, uh, and I think it's just gotten a re-release uh, on on Blu-ray, but. Uh, then I was watching It's a Mad, 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 Mad World today. That's a tough movie. <laughs> Why is that a tough movie? Why is that a tough movie? Uh, it's just so dated, I guess. Uh, you know, I'm watching the Criterion version of it, which is mm-hmm. added in, you know, I guess the, that uh, restorer, I, I think he passed away, Robert Harris. Right, uh, right. Worked on... Restoring it, uh, which is a difficult movie to restore because there's so many different cuts of it out there. And yeah, but um, it looks like they've uh, restored it the best that they can. But it's still it's very questionable because you know, hey, you'll be watching the a scene and suddenly it'll turn all blue. You know, the the right, will t- right. turn all blue and kind of wonky looking. And you're like, did they really need to <laughs> to mar the look of it by including this? But it's a big cult movie, so people want to see as much of the as much of the footage as they can possibly see. It, it's you know, it's a curiosity. I I appreciate it for for what it is, but uh, it's it's just not very funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I think, I think that movie's hysterical. I mean, I, 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 just I wish every, it was. I it's wish it very was funny. funny. I mean, you couldn't get. I mean, let's be honest. It's the best cast <clears throat> in the history of motion pictures. I mean, it's not. It's just one of the greatest cast of all time. I mean, it's nuts, and 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 it is neat, you know, to see all those people sharing one yeah. frame, you know, like uh, you know Mickey Rooney and. And Buddy Hackett and uh, Milton Berle, Sid Caesar, Phil Silvers, Jonathan Winters, who I think is one of the – I think he's the funniest person in it. 
very funny. Um, that scene where he destroys the gas station is uh, yes. one of the all-time with, great. With Marvin Kaplan and Arnold Stang as the two uh, gas station attendants yes. that he pummels. Uh, yeah, it's you know, I mean, it's a curiosity. I I I I I like certain aspects of it, but it's a little oh, yeah, bit I mean, of a slog. It's, it's a hard, <laughs> it's a hard. I look. It's a long movie. It, it is those, you know, it's a little, the rare exception where I always say comedy should not exceed 90 minutes. Um, yeah. I don't mind it here. I think it's sort of so ingrained to me. I mean, I saw this in the big bus in the same week, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so you remember the big bus with Joseph Bologna and Stockton? Oh, Canyon? sure. That's a crazy <laughs> movie. You might, Imagine watching these in the span of the same week when you're five. Um <laughs> Go go figure where trouble starts there. Um, um, so, you know, it's yeah. I mean, there's still to this. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal. Um, going back to the thing about the, the different versions, an article in the Wall Street Journal in 2002. And they're still finding like footage of this movie. They're still finding like like new footage. Yeah. Like, every couple of years. I mean, it's it's crazy. Um. Well, definitely they fit it, fit as much as they could find into the Criterion release. Yeah, so, no, uh, they have, no doubt. Um, and so, if you're ever watching it and you're wondering why, why is the print so weird looking, like <laughs> part of the time? That's the reason, you know. If they're they uh, they, but I'm surprised they couldn't fix some of these things, you know, like uh, with the. Uh, Modern technology, you know, right? Right. No, no, that's a good point. That's color a great correct point. some of the some of the shots that the extra footage that they did fit in, but uh, still, you know, pe- people wanted it, so give the people what they want. Uh, by the way, uh, <clears throat> Jamie, I wanted to uh, uh, offer a couple of corrections to our past show. Remember, uh, uh, we we did the Oscar trivia thing uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you said that an Oscar, I don't know where you got this, uh, but uh, you said that an Oscar was worth, uh, that was the question, what's an Oscar oh, worth? Oh, shit. Uh-oh. And, Here we go. And, <laughs> and you said it was 600 and something, $96,000 or something like that? I, I don't know where you where exactly you got that uh because uh I did some research on it and uh I I saw one place where they were worth uh 400 to 500 dollars and another place where they're worth 900 dollars. Now that's just the actual award and the medals involved with it which it's uh, a pewter award underneath dipped in uh, a coat of uh, copper, then a coat of uh, silver nickel, and then a coat of 24-karat gold. So uh, just on the metals alone, we're not taking into account the fact of what it is or the, the human effort that went into making it. But on the metals alone, it's it's only worth $900. Now, winning an Oscar... For male but. actors can bump your can bump your uh your uh you know the next the the next film that you're working on can bump your asking price up to up 
as much as three three million dollars. For women, oh, it's a lot less. It's only a half a million dollars that's usually added to their uh, to their asking price for a film. And as far as it goes, uh, in terms of <clears throat> auctioning off an Oscar. Well, the worth of that depends on what Oscar it is. I mean, if it's some guy's best sound Oscar for for doing you know something for the great race or something like that, that'd be a lot less than say Orson Welles' Oscar, which just recently uh, uh, was auctioned off for around eight hundred and fifty thousand mm. dollars. So uh, it's really eight hundred sixty-one thousand dollars, I think, is what it was. Holy shit! Off for. Um, Gotta so, go uh, <laughs> but uh in terms of also I, I I'm sure this this figure is out there, but uh I think I've read that, you know, winning an Oscar can usually add ten to twenty million dollars to your box office take. So but none of mm. those figures actually conform to what you said. <laughs> <laughs> What's the worth of yeah, the Oscar? I just, I'm, I just made I'm it up. Lost now. <laughs> you just lost. made it up. Uh, uh, and also, I, I made a mistake a couple of weeks ago. I was talking about a movie, uh, uh, this documentary that's available on Amazon Prime called, uh, well, I, I, I said it was called Official Selection, but the movie is actually called Official Rejection. And uh, it's a... Uh, so that'll help you find it if you're. It's a movie about um, uh, uh, a filmmaker's uh, journey through uh, the world of film festivals. Okay, uh, guys, I think this must have been when I was sick that you must have talked about this. Am yes. I not? Okay, yeah. I've interviewed um, the um, for my show that I did with Francis Abbey, Things You Didn't Learn in Film School. We interviewed Paul Osborne and Blaine Weaver for this okay. movie. I've seen this movie a lot of times. I own a. I'm very proud that I own a copy of this. Um, it's good, isn't it? It's a it's a superb movie, and it's something that, it, it, you know, the first time you watch it, your 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 tongue is like out of your mouth because you're just stunned. You know, you're just stunned at the revelations. You're just like, oh God, it's hopeless. And you watch it a couple more times, um, and you're like, okay, this sort of makes more sense. But I really, I am so grateful that I got to talk. I'm friends with Paul Osborne and Blaine Weaver. And Jamie's interviewed Blaine Weaver on this show for a movie that he did. But uh, yes, you have. I okay. You know, Jamie, I'm really trying to really get good. Uh, you know, give give props to the deserve. I'm they really all run together for Jamie after a little. I know. While. I understand, dude. I understand. But you have interviewed him. He's a good guy. Blaine Weaver is a stand-up guy. But it's a it's a film that I really. I'm glad we. I'm, gl- I'm so glad you brought it up, being because I think about this film a lot. Actually, it's a very important for people who want to know more about the business and like really the ugly side of the business, especially the festival circuit. It's one of the best films I've ever seen. Um, I mean, it, it really it really covers everything, and uh, you know the the bigger festivals, the smaller festivals. Uh, the, uh, the the irritations that can come with it, the the cost of uh, submitting uh, to festivals, and uh, and just the you know you you got to keep your eyes open in terms of in, in terms of because there's a thousand film festivals out there now, and, mm-hmm. and really I'm oh, probably God. lowballing the number, uh, but um, uh, and and some of them really aren't aren't worth it. <laughs> Some of them, I would say a good chunk of 
can I name some? The Frederick <laughs> Festival, the Georgetown no, Film Festival. <laughs> okay, no, I'm just saying, like, ones in the state of Maryland I can think of that really aren't going to help your film out at all, and I'll be the first to say it. But, um, but Yeah, so... No, but it's a good film, and I'm so happy that you brought Dean that, really, because that's a good... I think it's required viewing for anyone that wants to make a movie. I really yeah. do. I really I th- do. I think, think so, too. Viewing. I mean, if you're, a, if you're a filmmaker and you want to know what the festival experience is going to be like for you, uh, official rejection is really going to let you in on it. Yes, it's about ten years old now, but uh, I think what it has to say is is still very pertinent. Well, so, I, I think you answered the question too. There are even more. There every it seems like every year there are more film festivals, which on the surface is a great idea. But I mean, like you, you know, we could have the Movie Geeks United Film Festival in Jamie's backyard. And you know, and we could have those little like the little leaves that you put on the film to make it seem important, you know, and everything, you know. Yeah. Just showed at the Lakeland Film Festival. I mean, you know. Yeah. Like, can we do that? Because so, I'll go buy a case of beer right now if we could do that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Something interesting with the tra- traveling uh, festivals that are interesting. Uh, the actor, um, he's also a director. John Schneider from the old Dukes of Hazard. He has his own oh, yeah. film festival of like 30 movies, some of which he directed, that he just travels the country with to different theaters for a week at a time. Hmm. And he was just in Lakeland uh, last month for it. I want to I want to go to Lakeland. And he did one that was uh, that sounded like it was fun, one that he directed that was featured there, which was about, um, you know, it was a situational comedy about all these horror movie stars at a, a, a horror convention. And I think, and I think like they, uh, there's a murder or something that they're involved in that they're trying to solve. That does sound comedy. like a good idea. That's a good, that's actually really yeah. good. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's like Kane Hodder's in it and a few other you know, horror people that are always at those conventions. So uh, anyway. are we going to talk about movies that we're looking forward to No, this year? God, that really just killed the whole mood of the show right there. I mean, <laughs> well, well, all right. Um, I, hang on, hang on. I'm bringing, I'm bringing up a database that will allow well, us to talk about. I, I um, all of them. So we don't just other, name one thing, and we can. Another foreign language um, nominee yesterday: the Danish movie *Land of Mine*, which um, I heard is very good. Oh, it's dude! It's it's what I like about a movie like that. Um, so it's about after the right after the war, and when I mean the war, I guess we got to say World War Two now. Uh, but when I say the war, I think everyone knows I mean World War Two. But after <laughs> World War Two, the Danish took the German POWs and had them you know, sweep for mines on the beach in Denmark. Um, and I had, you know, this is something I'm not very familiar with, so already I appreciate that. I appreciate going to a movie like that, learning about something I really, uh, a part of the war I, I knew nothing about. So, and it, it's very, I mean, you re- I really got involved, very emotional. Um, so I, I really, I strongly recommend it. Now, do I think it should have won now I've seen three of the movies. I think they made the right choice with the salesman because I think you were trying to really make a that was just to hear the director's message 
his mm-hmm. acceptance speech. I thought that was very important. But the one I'm looking at, like I, this category every year, is like well, I do eventually get around to watching all five movies if I hadn't already seen them, and they're all very good in their own right, and it certainly deserves to deserves to have an audience. I, I think I hope people will seek it out because it's actually very good. You know, I, I wanted to mention. Uh, I mean, South by Southwest is coming up, uh, but also Tribeca is coming up. And uh, so they announced their slate, and they have some good uh, documentaries, uh, mm-hmm. movies that sound like they might be good. They got a documentary on Rodney King, uh, a documentary on uh, Elian Gonzalez, uh, one on uh, Frank Serpico that actually has Serpico's uh, involvement. Oh, in wow. It. Um, and they got one on Whitney Houston. Oh yeah, that's that's one being done by uh, Nick uh, Nick Broomfield, yeah. the uh, the questionable documentarian that uh, has done uh, works on you know Biggie and Tupac. He did, and and also Kurt and Courtney. Yeah, uh, but let's not forget his. Is, didn't he also do Hollywood Madam? He Hiding did. Place? Yeah. One of the great scenes in modern documentary filmmaking is interviewing Ron Jeremy um, <laughs> in the middle of work. And I, I, I don't know why. It's just the first, I don't know why she did this guy. This is 20, God, 20 years ago. Dean, shoot me. Um, this is 20 years ago. I, I just love it. They interview Ron Jeremy. Like, I think he's in between takes or whatever. They just, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. I mean, she was with Shawna, Shawna Grant before she died or something. <laughs> It was just so crazy. It was just like it was like Ron in action. You're like, thank you, Ron. Thank you for your contribution to this documentary. All two minutes of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick Broomfield. I mean, I, I like. Uh, you know, I sort of liked uh, his uh, tale, tale of the Gr- Grim Sleeper. Uh, is, that, <laughs> is that its name? The uh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The thing about the L.A. Uh, serial killer. Uh, that was one of his more, um, I guess, uh, disciplined kind of documentaries. But, right. But usually, you know, there's a scene, and <laughs> there's always a scene in one of his documentaries where he he goes up to somebody's door to go and interview them on the <laughs> yeah. on the sly or whatever, and he just knocks on the door, and he's carrying all of his film equipment and everything, and nobody answers the door, and he just kind of slinks away back to his car. And I'm like, why would you include that in this? <laughs> Wait, he went to my mom's house. He went to my mom's house because she wouldn't answer. She would just not even hear the doorbell. Um, but let me ask uh, a question though about Nick Broomfield though. In Court, Kurt and Courtney is the one where he interviewed. That's the movie where they interviewed the singer for the Mentors, El Duce, and it's just so crazy. Is that the right? Am I thinking of the right documentary? I think so. Yeah, because they talked about this elaborate plot that he was like he knew, like he was supposed to. Courtney Love had called him to. Yeah, it's just so convoluted. You're just like, oh my god, you're recording this. I can't believe you recorded this. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) he's uh, he's he's an unusual filmmaker. Yes, he is. uh, Oh, he is. But yeah, Whitney Houston. No surprise that he would be the first in line for that movie. Okay. Uh, so here's some movies to look forward to in 2017. Catherine Bigelow has a new movie. It's an untitled Detroit project 
about the riots uh, that occurred in Detroit in 1967. So historical drama. Uh, and it uh, uh, it has uh, John Boyega in it, right? The the uh, the new Star Wars star. Yeah, the uh, new Star Wars star, and he's also in Pacific Rim too, if I'm not mistaken, isn't he? Um, uh, yeah, you're right. Um, a movie while, that did not even she's be... done a movie. <clears throat> it has been quite quite a while, and she's reuniting with uh, her. Uh, Hurt Locker screenwriter uh, Mark Bowl. Mark Bowl, who's a, good, a very good writer. I, I like him, so I, I look forward to that. And it's good. I mean, it it looks like it's not packed with stars and stuff. I mean, the the biggest name in it is maybe you know Anthony Mackie uh, um, or uh, John Krasinski's in it, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, looks like it's going to be a lot of fresh faces. And um, and it'll probably be you know ridiculously controversial given the time period that we're in. Another one is uh, Steven Soderbergh uh, has pulled a share uh, in that uh, they say they retire and then they come back uh, again and again. He's um, got a new movie called Logan Lucky uh, about two brothers who attempt to pull off a heist during a NASCAR race in North Carolina. Who plays the I brothers? I want to see that. I definitely want to see that. No idea. I have no uh, other information on this website. But I'll tell you, uh, Daniel, uh, let's see, Daniel Craig's in it, Channing Tatum and Adam Driver, I guess, are the two brothers. Yeah, that's probably, yeah, Channing Tatum and Adam Driver. Uh, well, that's good. Interesting cast. Catherine Waterston, Riley Keough, uh Katie Holmes, Hillary Swank, Seth MacFarlane, uh, we, <laughs> Dwight Yoakam, and Macon Blair. <laughs> all right, we're, we're, we'll be all camped out for this one. Okay. I mean, when does Soderbergh do anything bad? Like zero point one percent of the time. Like I, even I, can I say something? Even the good German, which I was disappointed in. It's still a joy to watch, and I love the soundtrack so much by Thomas Newman. So, no, he's never done anything bad. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, he really hasn't. Yeah. There's, there's nothing that you can just totally – I mean, I didn't care for the good German, but uh, but I, I can respect it. Yeah, so. but, but compared to other things that you've seen, you're like, hey, the good German's actually not a bad movie in hindsight. <laughs> uh, yeah. You, well, you, the bar is raised with Soderbergh, so. Yeah. Yeah, no, let me say this. You weren't, even watching The Good German, you weren't like, oh, I wish I'd never watched that. You didn't feel like that. I mean, you were you were still appreciated what he was trying to do, I think. I think everyone yeah. I respect, respect that. It. Yeah. I th- I'm um, really looking forward to Dunkirk. Yes, yes. I mean, mm. it's, um, wow. Um, I'm curious to see how the Chris Nolan heads uh, react to Dunkirk, considering that it has absolutely none of the stuff that they love Chris Nolan about. Uh, you know, love about Chris Nolan, which is usually, mm-hmm. you know, that he does something related to the genres that they love. Well, this is something that's completely out of <laughs> out of any genre. I mean, except the war genre, obviously. But uh, it's um, a it's a great. I mean, I gotta tell you, I mean. 
you know, the idea that he would tackle Dunkirk, any filmmaker would tackle Dunkirk, but he, with his eye and everything, and his attention and detail, I'm very curious how he's going to do this. I'm very excited. I'm very excited for this. Well, most people are, <clears throat> teenage girls are happy to see that uh, Harry Styles, who's in one of those boy bands, like I think he's in One, yes, di- one I, Direction I was, or something like done. that. Son, when I saw that the first time that he was, I was like, "Wow, Harry Styles!" Okay. <laughs> so that's that's what's going to bring a lot of people into it. But uh, you know, Tom Hardy, Mark Rylance, Kenneth Branagh, Cillian Murphy, uh, James Darcy. So uh, it, I I just think it's going to be really great. It, it'll be really refreshing to see a mm-hmm. movie like that. I think. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I've never been crazy about Nolan, but I mean, I'll watch anything he does, but um, I regard him with some amount of skepticism. Yes, uh, <laughs> the uh, Sean Baker, he's been a guest previously on our show for a movie he did called Prince of Broadway. You know, he also did the movie Tangerine, which was the one oh, yeah. that was shot on the iPhone. iPhone, right? Right, right. the iPhone movie. Yeah, okay. yeah, that was great. It's a new movie. Uh, Right now, it's called The Florida Project. It's about uh, six-year-old girls' trip to Disney World. <laughs> so, I well, uh, another, I see another movie with Macon Blaine in it. So you guys would be happy to know that. <laughs> Macon Blair, you mean? So he's Blair, all over the yeah. place. I, yeah. Yeah, but I called him Blaine in high school. So, I mean, uh, <laughs> he and I go way back. <laughs> Uh, of course, stuff we've already talked about, like uh, uh, the beguiled. Uh, the the uh, second movie from the guy, the De- Decretia, it comes out at night. They've already uh, yeah released the poster and trailer for it. It's uh, the guy uh, from Loving. What's his name? Why can't I Joel, think? Joel, Joel Edgerton. Joel Edgerton. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but this director's name is Trey Edward Schultz. Um, the movie as it comes out at night, a father will stop at nothing to protect his wife and son from a malevolent, oh, mysterious yeah, yeah. presence terrorizing them from outside their doorstep. So there's an element of Cretia that felt like it could be a horror movie, uh, as well as a family drama. And I, I think he's combining those two more, you know, more, more obviously in this in this film. The one, the one that's probably my number one uh, is the new Paul Thomas Anderson movie with yeah. Daniel Day Lewis. Even I have to go. I mean, that's just the big. That's the big one. I have no idea what to expect from it, but that's good. So uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know anything about Charles James, who's a fashion designer in the in the fifties in London, uh, as far as the movie goes. Uh, and of course, you know, uh, I I would have to say this is my number one film easily, even more so than the Star Wars movie, just because the Star Wars movie is going to be so bittersweet because, oh, it's the last time we get to see Carrie Fisher, um, but no, it's Daniel Day-Lewis and Paul Thomas Anderson again. I'm sorry, I don't care who you are, that's the big movie of the year, for me at least. I mean, that's just the big one. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think, uh, you know, I, I am... I'm re- looking forward to the Blade Runner sequel ridiculously. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. No, no. Uh, um, 
Uh, but my my trust in uh, Denis uh, Villeneuve is uh, uh, it's it's not very strong. Let's put it that way. But uh, it seems like it, this would be a difficult thing to screw up, considering that you know the original screenwriter, or at least one of the original screenwriters, is back, uh, and. Um, and we've got Roger Deakins, of course, doing the photography, and Johan Johansson doing the score. So right, right. All of that stuff seems to be lining up quite well. Yeah. And of course, you know, Gosling and Ford in it. So, uh, so it, it it seems very positive. It's hard to it's hard to be negative about that film at all. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, what's the vibe? What vibe do you guys get about the new Alien? I I I think it looks bad. <laughs> I think it I think it's gonna be bad. I have a, a lot of questions. Um so I'm <laughs> glad you brought this up, Jamie. Okay, so um now is the Michael Fosslander is playing a new android. He's not the same robot that was on from Prometheus, he's playing a brand new one. that's that's difficult to say. I can't I can't say He didn't bother to tell these people, Hey, we're going into danger territory here, you know, it's not gonna be it's not gonna be smooth sailing. Um you know, so and first of all, I don't know how I feel. I mean, Dan McBride, so Kenny Towers is in space with us, he's not gonna help us out here. Um I I you know, there's a lot of interesting ideas that Prometheus brings up and I have this horrible all those ideas have been forgotten about when I watch this trailer. Um, I just well, it looks, it looks very much like a re, uh, like an alien retread, which is, in some ways, uh, it feels like that's what people have been asking for in some ways. Yeah. I uh, but I don't know. I mean, there's 15 people on the on the on the ship. You know, uh, I I don't know. I mean. It just looks packed with people, uh, which really means there's just more people to die. Yeah, I mean, uh, more fodder. I mean, you're you're basically saying it's more people fodder for the yeah. xenomorphs. Um, more stuff for the xenomorphs to eat. Yeah, but, because there's some interesting ideas in that first film, and it just feels like that's all going to be just like... So basically, anything that you could bring up, there are a lot of interesting ideas, like why... I mean... What, were we were we the mistake or were the alien? The, there's a whole lot of ideas they bring up that I have a feeling that basically oh because it didn't even though the movie did financially well the movie was not critically received well by audiences so oh yeah. we don't well, we're not we're not going to bother with any of that that's all that never it's almost no like it I mean I, I I think it I think it's going to continue the Prometheus uh, the questions raised in Prometheus that's why Ridley Scott wanted to come back and do this instead of Blade Runner. I hope so. Because hope. He, he wanted to follow follow through on the strands that he was working on with Prometheus. But at the same time I think he and the studio heard the complaint that they wanted more of more of like the the thrills of the original alien instead of something that's so entirely cerebral that he's incorporating that back in there too. I, I think it's gonna yeah, be an extra. I know, I know. It's just so. watching just watching the trailer I thought, you know, how many damn times are we going to see the same scene of them stepping up to a pod and then it opens and then it crashes through the guy's helmet? I mean, we, we got it 40 years ago. Yeah. Right. Can I just say that's exactly, you know, that's exactly my reasoning for not being excited about it. Yeah. I mean, when Billy Crudup goes up to the pod, it's like, you're an idiot. Really? 
you were Dr. Manhattan and the Watchmen. You had a big blue cock, and this is the best you can do? I mean, you know, I, I, I just really – no, let me say this, though. You know how many times we're going to see that, Jamie? The same amount of times we see Martha Wayne's pearls uh, fall to the ground as she's being killed. That's how many times we're going to see. That's how that's many true. times. And, you know, I'm sorry. I hate to say it, but that's where we're at, okay? so People want to see that shit again and again. I don't want to see it again. I'm sorry. You know, I get it. She died. I'm sorry. They're killing I love that that's the analogy that you made. It's not like we're going to see it the same number of times that Bruce Wayne's parents are killed. No, it's the pearls falling on the, on the ground. <laughs> it's so pretentious the specificity of that so analogy. Silly. It's so silly, though. I, you're talking to the man who said, I want to see the prequel about the cat and the godfather. Okay, that's the movie I want to see. I mean... <laughs> uh, okay, here's what's interesting. Uh, this, okay. this is a new, uh, J- uh, new James Ponsult movie, uh, Dean. Uh, did you see the trailer for it, The Circle, Tom Hanks? Yeah, and, it looks, and, uh, oh, it yeah. Looks, it, looks, it looks very good, I think. Good book. Yeah, man. Yeah. It yeah, looks, they, say it, it looks, they say it has the potential to be one of the – Good, great sleepers of the year, and it's uh, you know, it's about uh, it's kind of a surveillance society. I mean, it's a more complicated uh, kind of futuristic premise than that, mm-hmm. but it looks really interesting. Good cast, good. You know, it's it's actually a really good book, so I strongly recommend yeah to read it. Um, but if not, not read. It, but it looks really good though. I'm very excited for it. Murder on the Orient Express, the Kenneth Branagh. Thing. Is there going to be any real reason for anybody who's seen the original Murder on the Orient Express to watch this? No, because that was made in what seventy seventy three or four or seventy years uh, seventy four. Yeah, uh, I, I mean like, I know it's a long time ago, but it is Sidney Lumet, so we got to figure that a lot of film lovers have seen it. Um, oh, yeah. And. Uh, I'm just wondering, you know, why they couldn't do another. <laughs> I mean, if if okay, so if if there's no real cachet to murder on the Orient Express in terms of, you know, present day 25-year-olds, why do this? Why not do another Hercule Poirot uh mystery? Um it just doesn't make any sense to me. The people that they're trying to bring in to see it are probably older people who've already seen it. So they already know how the the, the murder uh, pans out. But uh, anyway, this one has Branagh as, uh, as, as uh, Poirot and um, also, you know, it has to have a huge cast. So it has Willem Dafoe, uh, Penelope Cruz, Johnny Depp, uh, Judy Dench, Derek Jacoby, Michelle Pfeiffer, Daisy Riddler, uh, Ridley, and uh, Josh Gad, which uh, I have to say, he plays the train. Uh, I have to say, like Josh Gad, his presence in anything just brings it down. Well, let me. Hasn't anyone ever seen the Benny Hill version, the Murder in the Oregon Express? Which I, I, I think I don't think we need a remake here. I think that. Um, <laughs> That was a far superior version, but that's just Josh. Me. Josh um, Gad. Uh, Josh Gad might inadvertently become some kind of a political uh, hero for the left, though, just because he's the one that plays the first openly gay character in a Disney film in Beauty and the Beast. 
Right. Oh wow. Well, no, no. Okay. Yeah. No, no, okay. I'm sorry. All, all is forgiven. Um, he plays. He plays <laughs> Gaston. Gaston's little uh, fat little buddy, uh, who's in the original movie, obviously. But uh, there's not really a gay subtext going on when it's an animated character. But I guess since they had to make him into a flesh and blood character, obviously, uh, it, it might be a little hard to, you know, the gay subtext might be a little difficult to uh, to escape in some ways because he's he's playing a character that's obviously in love with this with this guy with this Gaston character. So, uh, yeah, you know. It's, it's odd because every to... single gay person I've ever known has been very animated. So it's odd that they chose to wait for the live action. To... <laughs> I'm um, glad we're having this conversation. You know what? Uh, the the Guardians of Galaxy Volume 2 had the rare occasion of scoring 100% on its audience scorecard, which they say is almost unheard of. Uh, I think that that's going to be the big hit outside of maybe Star Wars, but... Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think it, it, mm. it's a good one. I, I think that... I have high hopes for it. Um, but what yeah. about uh, Tom Cruise's... This is weird, the whole Tom Cruise mummy thing. Um, it's just weird to have kind of a huge actor featured in a in a mummy movie. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it shows it shows that they really want to to rev up the uh, reboot of their monster series at Universal. Uh, I don't know what to think of it. Uh, the I, mummy, the I don't know either. I don't know either. Um, they tried that with Dracula Untold with Luke Evans a couple of years ago, and it was a, it didn't do very well. So I thought they abandoned yeah. their monsterverse. So, I mean... I can't get excited about any movie about the mummy. I just... The, the mummy yeah. is the least <laughs> scary... <laughs> it's just the least scary uh, monster for Dude, me. Dude, does Tom Cruise play the mummy? Who plays the mummy? They're not oh, going to have know. Tom Cruise I, playing the mummy. I don't know. I'm just Tom Cruise it. plays the, the he's guy. He's going to have a piss helmet, to... and he's going to be walking yeah. around looking at hieroglyphs. Isn't Russell Crowe <laughs> in this movie, too? Yeah. <laughs> does he play the mummy? <laughs> no, neither. No. They, the the person playing the mummy has to be like well I mean I know they had Boris Karloff as the mummy back in the old days but you know he, he wasn't a huge star yet so but um, <clears throat> but you know they're going to have to be covered in bandages and stuff so doesn't really matter who plays uh, the mummy the word on uh War of the Planet of the Apes is really good too. Yeah, uh, Matt Reeves I, came yeah. back for that. If Matt Reeves is directing it, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, no, he, he is. He really, he really did a good job. Did he do uh, World War Z as well? No, that, no, that was um, that was um, another um, Matt. Mark Foster did that. Didn't Mark Foster. Okay, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. Uh, so we've basically taken um, battle for the Planet of the Apes. We're now at the battle of the Planet of the Apes, and Woody Harrelson, I guess, has this, this 
Severn Davenport, and I mean, and it's going to be very violent, as opposed to the Battle for the Planet of the Apes, which they had to tone down because because Conquest of the Planet of the Apes was considered very violent for its day. Uh huh. Um, so we get it. We get we get like the Battle for the Planet of the Apes that is incredibly um, violent. But I, I mean, it looks like a great performance from Woody Harrelson as the the human antagonist to Caesar. Um, it could, it, it looks fascinating. Um, What's with really, Woody Harrelson like uh, now popping up in all these sci-fi franchises? So he's going to be in this. He's going to be in the new in the Han Solo Star Wars movie. Yes, he plays he plays Han Solo's mentor. Um, Han Solo's he, mentor. I see. So I mean, so great. Um, Mickey Knox is um, Han Solo's mentor. I don't know what to make of that, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm going to go with it. I'm going to go with it. Um, yeah. Michael Haneke has uh, his new movie coming out this year. Uh, okay, with so what is this? Enlighten us, because this is very exciting. Isabel Huppert. Oh, here we go. <laughs> now, you can see what's going to happen. Like, if she's the lead, you know, Best Actress nomination like next year, probably. But right. uh, Isabel Huppert is Jean-Louis Trintignant. And uh, Matthew Kasovitz and Toby oh, Jones. Kasovitz, wow, wow, okay. Um, what is this though? What is it though? I, I'm it. not quite sure. I know that it has to do with the migrant uh, issue uh, that's uh, plaguing uh, Europe and I guess the U.S. now. Uh, but I, I'm not quite sure exactly how how that figures into it. Uh, keep, he's keeping it under wraps. I mean, it's called. It's called. Probably ironically, <laughs> considering it's Michael Haneke, it's called Happy Ending. Or well, uh, there you go, guys. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, or, or also, uh, I see it in other places as, as Happy End. Uh, happy Ending seems wow, like a better, okay. <laughs> better time. I got to mention this. Edgar Wright ha- has a new movie coming out. Feels like it's been a little while for since for Edgar Wright. Yeah, I mean, he did at the World's End was um, what three three or four years ago, or and and that didn't make a huge splash here theatrically or anything. So mm-hmm. it's a good uh, movie, so but it did not make a. You're right, it did not. It, it, it feels like it's been longer. Like yeah. it feels like nothing's been seen out in theaters since since you know, uh, you know the. Uh, Stuart, Scott Pilgrim movie, but yeah, uh, and, and that was not a hit either. That was not a mainstream hit. So no, uh, but this one's called Baby Driver. Uh, I don't know if it'll have the Simon and Garfunkel song in it, but <laughs> uh, uh, it's a it's a crime comedy. Uh, Jamie Foxx, John Hamm, Kevin Spacey, and uh, some. Uh, and Meryl Streep <laughs> is it uh, with a score by Stephen Price, the guy who won the Oscar for uh, Gravity, and mm-hmm. cinematography by Bill Pope, uh, um, not Dick Pope or Dick Poop, but Bill Pope. Dick, Dick um, Poop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's uh, it, it stars Ansel uh, Elgort. Uh, who is that's a name that I feel like I know, but I'm not quite sure from what, from what. 
as a baby, a music-obsessed, quiet young man who works as the getaway driver for a bunch of bank robbers. So I guess that's where the comedy comes in. Also, this this year we're going to find out how bankable uh, Stephen King is again. Because... Because between the Dark Tower and it, I mean, those are two very high-profile, big-budget movies. Um, and if it doesn't succeed, they're still stuck with another one. And well, the same thing with Dark Tower. <laughs> I don't know if they signed the. So they're cutting it into deal. two movies, both of them. Uh, I mean, Dark Tower is multi-picture, but I don't know if they signed on for more than one. If this one tanks, but they did sign on for both versions, both chapters of it. Mm, okay. They'll probably be big hits, I would imagine. Especially I, I, it. I, it's, I uh, have to chime in about it. Um, there are the our the generation before us. Uh, it's my workplaces um, to be used as a gauge. I mean, it's a good way. They love it, the miniseries, and they did not know it was a miniseries. They just watched it, I guess, on home video or whatever. Um, it's very popular. I mean, with the with the millennials, they. That's to them like top shelf entertainment. So they're all looking okay. forward to this movie that comes out. I guess in the first week of September, um, people are very excited for it. I, I hear about it every day. So um, we'll see. Well, it's a it's a big bu- it's a big budget horror movie, and that's rare. Yeah. Uh, and if it tanks, uh, you're not going to see another horror movie in a while, uh, which you know might be a good thing for some people, but. Uh, <laughs> But it, I think, is a really special property, and I, yeah. I hope they do it right. Well, it comes out September eighth, but you know they pulled the plug on um, on uh, Friday the thirteenth because some horror movie that came out a couple of weeks ago didn't perform very well. Um, I can't remember what sure that movie was. No, it was a straight horror movie, like a "Don't Breathe" kind of thing, but it wasn't that. Mm-hmm. It was a um, anyway, but uh, that's fine because nobody fucking wanted to see Friday the Thirteenth anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I've had enough of it. <laughs> we don't need to start the whole thing over again, please. No, we don't. Uh, hey, uh, I think like a big Oscar contender is going to be Alexander Payne's new movie because Paramount's releasing it December twenty second, which is prime, you know, real estate. Um, and it's it's the, that movie Downsizing, where like Matt Damon shrinks himself to one eighth of his size to reduce uh, consumption of the world's dwindling resources, <laughs> which it sounds nutty. <laughs> but it does, I'm, it I'm sounds wondering... like something that that could easily go off the rails. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, if it was anybody else but Alexander Payne, I'd be like, hmm, but Alexander Payne hasn't really done anything that I hated yet. So. No, he hasn't. He has not made a bad movie yet. So, I mean. <laughs> no, he hasn't. So, so I have to take him. And he's, uh, he's there with his uh, screenwriter, Jim Taylor. So, uh, uh, so, you know, I can already uh, imagine if Jimmy Kimmel gets asked back to the Oscars, I can already imagine the uh, the jokes flying forth with uh, Matt Damon being shrunk down and everything. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> and then they already um, write themselves. Uh, 
then the um, James Franco <laughs> is making on the opposite end of the spectrum. He's making his movie about the making of the room. Right. Uh, do you know? Well, he's you know playing Tommy Wiseau, is? right? Yeah, and he look he looks like Tommy Wiseau because they both have that kind of oh, where the hell am I? Look about them. Yeah, but the uh, uh, the the movie's called The Masterpiece. <laughs> well, that'll be fascinating to watch. I still have not watched The Room. Can you believe that? You're not oh, missing anything. <laughs> I I I think I'm going to have to watch it but uh but there are a lot of really good filmmakers working this year. I mean uh you know uh looks like Terrence Malick's going to also have Weightless out this year. So uh oh. um so this might be another year for two of his movies. Uh I don't even know what happened to Voyage of Time. That never even came to Atlanta or I don't even know where it is in the in the digital world, if that's set for release, but yeah, uh, it's in the air but, somewhere, like most of his movies. Yeah, Polanski and Polanski and Aronofsky, the two the two Efskys, are yeah. um, have new movies out. Aronofsky's is a home invasion thriller uh, with Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem, Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, um, and Ed Harris. Um, and Polanski's what based on a true story or what's it called? Uh, yeah, based on a true story is what it's called. Uh, with Eva Green and uh, his wife Emmanuel Signer, uh, in the leads. So uh, tells the tale of a writer, uh, played by Signer, whose life and mind are endangered by an obsessive woman, played by Green. So. And then uh, uh, hopefully it has a lot of sex in it. And then Adam McKay has his uh, Dick Cheney uh, biopic. Has is that has that started filming? Who's who's playing Dick Cheney? It hasn't started filming yet. Okay, so we don't really know if that's going to make ho- it this year. Ho- hopefully but. they'll they'll uh, no, it will make it this year. It's like The Big Short, which he. He shot and released within like six months. Okay. Um, but uh, hopefully he'll listen to us for his casting choice of Tracy Letts and not go. Yeah, with yeah, big name, big name star. Just. I mean, Tracy all the supporting Letts characters is, can be the big yeah. stars and just cast Cheney right. You know? Yes. Um, Tracy Letts is in Greta Gerwig's uh, directorial debut called Lady Bird. Uh, mm. she's not in it. She's uh, writing and directing solely, but it's uh, Saoirse Ronan in the lead. Uh, good cast: Laurie Metcalf, Lucas Hedges, who was just in, nominated for uh, Manchester by the Sea, and uh, and Tracy Letts. So, and then uh, Lynn Ramsey's first movie since we need to talk about Kevin is uh. It's also from Amazon. It's called You Were Never Really Here. It's an adaptation of a novella. Joaquin Phoenix is an ex-Marine who stumbles onto a trail of corruption while attempting to rescue a young girl from sex trafficking. Mm. Um, The director of It Follows has a new uh, 
Los Angeles thriller coming out called Under the Silver Lake. Tom Cruise has the other. This this is exciting. Doug Lyman uh, has directed him. Uh, the movie was uh, made under the title Mina, but it's now called American Made. Uh, but it's the movie where he's playing uh, Barry Seal, uh, the TWA pilot who became a drug smuggler in the 80s. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so it looks like a... Uh, it, it looks like uh, you know an opportunity to, to see Cruz play a real character again. You I hope know, so. A, I hope so. Uh, and uh, it's good to see him reunite with Doug Lyman, uh, who also directed Edge of Tomorrow, which is probably Cruz's best movie in some time. So yeah, no, I yeah. agree. He's also he's also about to film the next Mission Impossible as well. Tom Cruise is so in love with Katie At least all his people tell him so And while he thinks that she's a very special lady It's probably not the way he'd choose to go But a lifetime of longing looks Would cause too much distraction Good thing that he's not gay anymore Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise crazy Just be glad it's him, not you If you had Tom Cruise's troubles You might be Tom Cruise crazy too You'd flash your big white shiny smile You'd buy expensive shoes But you'd be the only man on earth Who couldn't enjoy Tom Cruise, oh no couldn't enjoy Tom Cruise Tom Cruise is always getting older He knows he'll never be that young again And when Tom Cruise looks back over his shoulder He sees a thousand younger leading men he knows someday he'll have to play An old retarded grandpa Well, someone younger plays his sexy son Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise crazy Just be glad it's him, not you If you had Tom Cruise's troubles You might be Tom Cruise crazy too You'd flash your big white shiny smile You'd buy expensive shoes but you'd be the only man on earth who couldn't enjoy Tom Cruise. Oh no, you couldn't enjoy Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise hopes somewhere there's a place for him. Cause he's not of this world anymore. Somewhere in some secluded castle. Tom Cruise sits staring at the wall And the outside world is always such a hassle Sometimes he won't go out at all There are millions who know his name Everybody loves him 
Tom Cruise crazy Just be glad it's him, not you If you had Tom Cruise's trouble You might be Tom Cruise crazy too You'd flash your big white shiny smile You'd buy expensive shoes But you'd be the only man on earth Who couldn't enjoy Tom Cruise Oh no, you couldn't enjoy Tom Cruise 